welcome to what I'm sure will be a wonderfully inspiring conversation centered around the brand new book, How You Can Save the Planet by Hendrikas Van Hensberger, focused on building the next generation of environmental leaders. Before we get too involved in the discussion, I just wanna take you through a little bit of housekeeping. We'll be recording the event as part of the Environmental Funder Network's Inspiring People series, which aims to highlight the vital role of philanthropy in solving environmental issues. So my name is Jessica Swayden, and I join you this evening as, as a strategic advisor for both the Environmental Funders Network, who are hosting this evening, and also for Action for Conservation, who, will, who we will be learning a lot more from as we go on this evening. My journey in environmental philanthropy has led me on a fascinating path, especially as I tend to be a generalist, which is to say I'm interested in it all, in absolutely everything. But what I'm particularly interested in are the gaps, the places, the species, the people, and the issues that receive the least amount of attention, but are all critical to the overall outcome of total environmental conservation. Action for Conservation works with young people and especially those who have less access to being in nature. They host nature camps to help build confidence and inspire leadership. They work in schools, they do training, and as you will hear tonight, are now facilitating a youth-led nature restoration initiative in Wales. What stands out is that Action for Conservation aren't looking to create a one-size-fits-all how to save the planet. They are, they are supporting the next generation of leaders, confident young people with new ideas and powerful voices, people who I encourage us all to listen much more closely to. And of course, one of the other big gaps in the environmental sector is philanthropy itself. The environmental movement means many things, species conservation, land protection and restoration, education, activism, campaigning, policy work, legal action, grassroots initiatives and in supporting local and indigenous communities. But at the root, it is this, human well-being and our future viability are inextric inextricably linked to the natural world. We, we have to do more. The philanthropic needle is slowly moving in the right direction, but the truth remains, the environment is woefully underfunded. It is a massive gap which is why I work so closely with the Environmental Funders Network as well, to help build a movement whereby much more philanthropy is centered on environmental giving. Now on with the show. This evening we'll, we will hear from the author who I just mentioned, Hendrika Sven Hensberger, the founder, of and the founder and CEO of Action for Conservation and author of How You Can Save the Planet, We'll hear from Hannah and Esther, two young people who work with Action Conservation and who are featured in H's book, and Bianca Pitt, who, like myself, is a strategic advisor for both Action for Conservation and Environmental Funders Network. All of them will introduce themselves in more detail as we go. We are delighted to be joined tonight by author Robert McFarlane, who many of you will know also on the board of Action for Conservation, who will be our chair for this evening. Robert McFarlane is the author of the internationally best-selling and prize-winning books about nature, people and place, including Underland, The Old Ways, Landmarks, and with the artist Jackie Morris, The Lost Words and The Lost Spells, two absolutely beautiful books. If you haven't seen them, please find them. 
His books have been widely adapted for film, music, television, radio, and stage, and translated into many languages. He is a fellow at Cambridge University, and in 2017, the American Academy of Arts and Letters awarded him the E.M. Forster Prize for Literature. So we are very honored and very delighted to have you here, Robert. And with that, I'm going to thank you for being here tonight and for chairing, and I will hand over to you. Wonderful. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, thank you uh, very much, uh, uh, um, Jessica, for that introduction. Extremely generous. I can only disappoint you. Hello, everybody out there. I know some of you from uh, uh, earlier events, uh, EFN event at Maddingley Hall, others by other means. Those who I don't know, welcome. It's wonderful that you could all join us. I'm very glad to be chairing this evening. So uh, I, I want to begin with a few words about AFC, about the Pempont project and about the work and the book of, of Dreeke, as I know him, Hendrikus, our, our inspiring young uh, CEO and founder leader and my friend, I'm very glad to say. About seven years ago, I think it is, uh, Dreeke came to see me in Cambridge. I was overworked, uh, no change there. I was teaching long days, uh, no change there. I was grappling with a book called Underland that then seemed unwritable and that I knew would take years longer to complete. I did actually finish that book. That's one thing that's happened for the positive. Uh, I didn't want to take anything else on. I was absolutely adamant that that this this wasn't possible. But I said I'd see Dreeke because there was something about the way he wrote to me that, that made me think I ought to. And, and then I met him and we talked and um, something spark something became absolutely clear to me which was that I, I i had to support this young man in in his vision uh, uh to change the world um he asked me to be a trustee then a founding trustee and i i agreed pretty much on the spot i think i asked for a little uh 24 hours to to reflect on it but really i decided um then and there and i joined a board of of fantastic trustees all of whom are still present a wonderful indication i think of the health of the charity people stay. Why did I change my mind at that point when I um, committed to not <laughs> doing anything with Hendrikos? Well, uh, several reasons. Uh, he joined, as he saw it in this, as that at that point, non-existent charity, he joined wonder at one end of the spectrum to, to action and change at the other. Uh, and, and he moved as he did so through hope. And that is a journey that has interested me from the very beginning as a writer, how, how wonder results in change. And it's a really complicated story. It's very hard to do, hard to make happen. And Dreeke saw a way that that, 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 could, that could occur and he's proved that to be correct. It was the focus on 12 to 17 year olds, a sort of forgotten tranche uh, in the conservation story. Uh, one to 11, pond dipping, tree climbing. Uh, uh, we then uh, release our children into their teenage years and we expect them to emerge from that complicated, busy time as, as good conservationists as adults and somehow think they've failed if they haven't. Well, we, we can't just do that. We need to find ways to, to enable them, to support them and to listen to them. And then Juki's commitment to diversification, to focusing on students from, from poor background schools with high pupil premiums and encouraging participation from non-standard and non-white backgrounds. That was there from the beginning. It's become an absolute signature of the charity and wonderful things are happening in, in, in those respects. So I said yes, uh, and we drew up our aims and values together along with the trustees. Uh, they're still in place. Uh, I drafted some of the copy that's there on the front page of the Action for Conservation website. 
Uh, and off we went, not really knowing where, where we were going. Uh, where we were going was into space. It's been an absolute rocket trip. I think we're six years old now. We'll soon have 14 staff. Uh, we're working in three regions, Southwest, Northwest and Southeast. We've supported uh, nearly 5,000 students now, making positive, measurable change for biodiversity, for climate, for communities and their relationships with nature, nearby nature. Uh, we work in secondary schools where with an average, and I think this is a really telling stat among all these um, stats that, that, that come our way, where an average of 47% of pupils are in receipt of pupil premium. Um, I, I work in access at the university and I, I know how hard these, these schools are to reach um, and those pupils in particular. And it's just wonderful to see that there absolutely at the centre of what we do. We host camps across three national parks. Um, uh, more than a third of our attendees self-identify as visible minority ethnic. We've built a network of 100 youth ambassadors and alumni of, of whom my daughter is one, um, Esther and Hannah, who you're going to meet shortly, are among that network as well. All of this is supported and enabled by, by funders such as, as those present here. Um, we're changing the future face of conservation in the UK. We, we're now one of the three lead organisations for delivering a Race for Nature's Recovery, which is training and placing 118 people from VME backgrounds in, in paid placements in over 30 big and small environmental NGOs across the country. And this, is, again, is, is real change, is, is, is wonder connecting to change. It's also change on the ground and I can't wait for you to hear from Hannah and Esther about the Pempon project which just blew my mind when it appeared as a possibility. There are people here who are also helping to make it possible but landscape scale change. So people will tell you a bit more about it but the Pempon project is, um, <laughs> we, we had to work a bit hard to verify this, it is the, the world's largest youth-led nature restoration initiative. Um, uh, that sounds like one of those things that you see on American kind of museum signs. We're the, we're the smallest pencil museum in the south of the state. Um, but this, no, this is, this is true and this is a big thing. We're working on a 2,000 acre upland estate in the Brecon Beacons National Park, close partnership with landowners, tenant farmers, run by a youth leadership group. Uh, 25, 12 to 17 year olds from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, this is a legacy project. Its outcomes will extend beyond um, really the lifetimes of those young people involved in it now. It works and thinks in, in deeper time, actually. Uh, and it, it, it speaks to the question that Jonas Salk, the great immunologist, who invented the, um, uh, one of the early polio vaccines, then made it available to the world. He said, are we being good ancestors? It's a fantastically searching question. I, it's the question at the heart of Underland, and I think it's, it's one that's well answered by, uh, by something like the Pempont Project, where you think beyond your lifetime, even beyond the lifetime of, of your children and your grandchildren. We've got a new similar project opening in Garsdale Pike in the Yorkshire Dales, National Park. We've got young people speaking truth to power at COP26. My own daughter went down, spoke to, to DEFRA, stood on a stage at the age of 14 um, and, and, and spoke to the, uh, the Secretary, uh, the Under Secretary of State for the Environment. Um, these are incredible opportunities that AFC is, is making possible. It's been exhilarating and so much of it has come from Hendricus. He has an amazing clarity of, of vision and drive has a hugely generous nature that, that folds people in, encourages and enables 
collaboration. And somehow in the past two years, as well as running the charity through an intense period of expansion in the same period as COVID, in the same period as becoming a father for the first time and moving house, he's, he's written a book. I, I don't know quite how he makes time bend like this, but he's, he's got a pet TARDIS somewhere in a rucksack. Uh, the book is called How You Can Save the Planet. And I think the pronoun's important there. You, it's Dreeky speaking to people again, speaking to individuals. It's not a dream idealism. It, it turns to individuals, young people, and it says, um, you can do this. You can make change up and down uh, the scales. You can overcome what Sian and Guy, the cultural theorist, calls the stuplime, that stupefying, sublime thudding of bad news that we all know from, from the environment uh, uh, perspective, particularly, where it just uh, it becomes overpowering. There's nothing we can do at this global scale. Dreeky's book says, no, that's not right. You, you can make change. You can do this. Start small work up the scales um, and, and, you'll, and, and you'll be making change across them. Case by case, it's practical, it's political. It arose out of the charity's work. Penguin heard about the Pempont project uh, and got in touch and Dreeky began work on the book. Many of its case studies feature young people, um, two of them you'll hear from today, who Dreeky has worked with in the course of the charity's um, expansion. Uh, and its aim is the same as the charities, really, and probably the same as all of ours, which is to encourage young people from all backgrounds across the UK to be inspired and empowered to take action. Here's, here's the cover, that bright cover. Uh, it's a brilliant piece of work. It was published in the same month as a comparable book by Naomi Klein. I think Naomi Klein is fantastic, but it's my wholly unbiased opinion that Dreeky's book is loads better. Um, so uh, that's more than enough from me. I think I'm on time, uh, but now really you want to hear from, from young people, uh, more than enough from the 40-somethings like me. So I'm going to uh, have myself unpinned and welcome Esther and Hannah, who will introduce themselves and talk about the Pempon Project. Thank you. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Hannah, I'm 16 and I currently live in Sheffield. Um, I'm an ambassador for Action for Conservation and a member of the Youth Leadership Group for the Penpoint Project, along with Esther and 23 other young people. Um, in our time working with AFC, we've both been involved in so many opportunities. Um, personally, I think the highlight for me is learning about kind of media strategies, communications and how to share my passions with others and get my voice heard. And um, Esther says her key interests surround learning knowledge and taking inspiration directly from the climate activists that we're able to meet through Action for Conservation, which is really exciting. Um, I actually applied to the Penpoint project because I loved the idea of a youth-led project where I'd be able to make decisions and experience a leadership role that I don't really think is uh, widely available to young people. And uh, working with a team of other young people to me was so exciting. Um, I also think that it's so unique because it's such a long scale project. Um, we'll really be able to see it grow and develop while we work on it and into the future. And I think the fact that it combines nature restoration and cultural restoration into one groundbreaking project is really amazing. Um, the UK is currently facing a biodiversity crisis. It's one of the most nature depleted places on earth with around 41% of its species showing major declines over the last 30 years. 
But why does that matter? Uh, biodiversity loss and climate breakdown is impacting the well-being of young people. So three-fifths of young people actually experience climate anxiety and worries about our planet. The Penpon project is our opportunity to turn this around. It's the largest project of its kind, youth-led and aims to benefit the environment, landowners and the local community through a wide range of strategies. We aim to develop a nature recovery programme that integrates biodiversity conservation with wildlife friendly farming and forestry practices across over 400 acres of land on the Pemplon estate. To do this, we're working very closely with landowners, tenant farmers, the local community and visiting experts to ensure that we take into account a broad range of needs and ambitions. Our project is truly an embodiment of Wales's Future Generation Act, and we hope that we can inspire others to follow our intergenerational approach, which is already happening. And finally, we're working to ensure that other young people can also benefit from PEM1, uh, so the site can act as a future educational resource and a place of deep nature connection. I'll let Esther take it from here. Um, hi there, I'm Esther, I'm 15 and I'm from Macclesfield in Cheshire. Um, at Pempont, one of our kind of founding ideas is that our partnerships with stakeholders are really important. Um, so we work with the tenant farmers, estate owners and the local residents, and they're really central to everything that we do so that everybody is included in decision making for the site. Um, so far, we've mostly been building a connection with the land. Um, the members of the youth leadership group are from all over the country and we haven't ever been to Penmont before. So we want to make sure that our decisions are informed. And personally, I really love taking part in the site visits, um, if only because the Penmont estate is so, so beautiful. And I feel really, really privileged to get to spend so much time there. We've been doing mapping exercises with community members in order to get an idea of what the site used to look like and the species that have been lost. Alongside this, we've commissioned baseline surveys from experts to get an idea of the species that are currently on the land and also involved local schools through a BioBlitz survey. Recently, we appointed six new members to the youth leadership group um, who are from the local area um, to make sure that we're listening to local people and also because they'll be able to have greater access to Pempomp throughout the year. We've got loads of future ambitions to make this project as impactful as we possibly can. So in June, we're taking a visit to the Nepa State and we're also planning visits to some other similar landmark projects to gain inspiration and advice for our work. We've got a three-month three knowledge series coming up, the Youth Leadership Group, um, where we'll learn in greater depth about nature-friendly farming and forestry and how this can help to support biodiversity growth. We're continuing with our baseline surveys and planning to do another mapping session um, to work out kind of our collective visions for the project. And hopefully by autumn time, we will be able to start carrying out some direct action on the land with the help of some local experts and young people. Overall, we aim for the Penpon project to be an educational site where people, and especially young people, can reconnect to nature and learn all about the natural world. So our plan is to explore eco-tourism schemes for the site with ideas including uh, camping and a farm to fork restaurant. And we really want this project to be an exemplar uh, site so that this model of working with young people can be used elsewhere for loads of other projects as well. 
Being involved in the Penpont Project and Action for Conservation um, has been one of the best opportunities of my life. It feels really exciting and thrilling to be involved in such a groundbreaking endeavour at Penpont. Um, and I really, really hope that it will inspire and teach generations to come as much as I know that it's going to teach me. Thank you, Esther. That's really wonderful to hear. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to, to be involved in such a unique project. Um, for me, this is always something that I dreamed of doing when I was younger and at my age of 16 to experience that dream is really um, is so great for me. I think it's also been a major turning point in my life because I've seen um, being part of the project I've realised this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and um, I love that Pempoint will not only benefit our planet but the people and I think I really look forward to seeing the legacy that we can create. So that's all from me thank you for listening to our talk and i hope you found it interesting and learned something about our project thank you thank you hannah thank you esther uh, that that was brilliant what's going to happen now is we're, we're gonna i'm going to chair a panel discussion with esther and hannah uh, and uh, with Jiki hendricus and with uh, Bianca as well. And I'm just going to begin by asking Bianca uh, Pitt uh, to introduce herself. Bianca. Thank you so much, Robert. And thank you, Esther and Hannah, for telling us more about your involvement with the charity. Um, I am an environmental funder and advisor and also a founder of, of different initiatives. Um, but most of all, I'm a mother of two young children who will soon become teenagers. And um, I've been watching teenagers, particularly over the lockdown, uh, to get a preview of what might lie ahead of this. And um, have seen, I'm sure, as, as all of you have, you know, how many of them are completely stuck at home, particularly if they live in cities. And many of them have been sucked into various devices and the internet. Uh, without much hopeful escape, it seems. And, um, you know, and it's made me wonder what we can do to, to engage the curiosity, the tremendous curiosity that teenagers have for the world. And um, as you said, Robert, you know, we are all desperate for good news. And I definitely think that action for conservation is the good news <laughs> we have been waiting for. Um, when I was first uh, seeing the presentations that um, your ambassadors gave you, youth ambassadors, I knew that I'd found the organization that we should all be supporting. So thank you, Hendrikus, and over to you. Thank you, Bianca, and thank you, Rob, and uh, welcome, everyone. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for... Uh, for, for having us and, and for you joining us and um, uh, Esther Hannah, fantastic presentation, well done. Um, it's so wonderful to hear about the project through your eyes. Um, so uh, my name is Hendrik van Hensbergen, as you've already heard, uh, for short, um, I won't um, uh, talk for too long um, other than to say, um, yeah, I founded Action for Conservation um, several years ago, feels like yesterday sometimes, um, and recently wrote uh, the book how you can save the planet so thank you rob for the much more eloquent um, and extensive introduction i won't say any more because i think it'd be more exciting to to get into the discussion um and explore some of these issues that that 
uh, Jessica and, and Bianca have have raised, and as have you, Rob. So yeah, let's um, let's get into it. Okay, let's go. Um, well, a first question to Juki and to to Hannah and to Esther, perhaps. Um, I, I'm interested in the relationship between uh, small sort of small steps, practical, hands-on change, and then um, systemic change, which and we, we I think we all recognise the kind of what George Eliot would call this the systole and diastole between those two two scales. So, um, uh, Juki, starting with you, I mean, your book is partly about that. Perhaps you could just say, uh, and your charity our charity has, has, has sort of expands that relationship, but perhaps you could say a little about it from your view and then, uh, yeah, Hannah and Esther, it'd be really good to hear briefly from you about, about your perception of that relationship between them. Okay, Juki. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I think it's a really um, interesting conundrum and, um, you know, I don't disagree with the fact that we need large scale systemic changes in, in government um, and in business. Um, but I think often in that conversation, we can we can lose the importance of hands on practical action, uh, often at a small scale and the value in that. Um, and so I think what what we've always from the beginning with Action for Conservation, as, as, as you've outlined, Rob, um, done is is to really build from those small scale actions up um, and to give people the confidence in, in taking action in their lives at a scale that's meaningful to them. Um, and the importance of that in terms of building people's resilience and their, their sense of purpose um, in doing that. And, and, and together those actions can add up, you know, to, to, to a big difference. And so with the book, it, I was, it was really important to me that I, I kind of continued in, in that thread, building on our work with Action for Conservation, where we kind of create a, a ladder of opportunities, starting small with our schools programme all the way through to our residential camps, to our ambassador programme, um, and then on to projects like the Pempont project where, you know, young people like Hannah and Esther are having a, a huge impact um, on a big scale. And, and it's something that can be really transformative and um, change the way we look at some of these issues um, and the way we work as a society. And so with the book, you know, I was keen to, to really kind of thread that through it, both with um, the stories of the young people like Hannah and Esther who are taking action and the practical steps um, that young people can take. Um, starting at the beginning with those smaller actions and then building up to, to bigger campaigns and uh, projects that require teams and planning and um, are likely to have these greater kind of systemic effects. Thank you. Um, Hannah, what, I mean, sometimes it can just feel overwhelming, can't it? This, the scale of the problems and um, tell us about how you navigate some of these, um, these issues yourself. No, I agree. I do think it can be quite overwhelming when all the news you hear is bad news. But I think personally, um, it's really important to kind of remember that no matter how small your actions are, everything you do makes a difference. And even if that difference is not massive or not instant, it's about, um, for me anyways, solidifying that relationship with conservation. And then from there you can build up because while systemic change is so important and we need that and really no major progress is going to be made without that we can't do that instantly that takes time and in that time we can be using it to um, change our own lives to be better for the environment as well so i think it's all about balance thank you esther what, what about you do you have any reflections on this tricky question um, I absolutely agree with uh, Hannah and Juki, and I think that 
um, often small scale actions and practical actions are really necessary, not only because those actions will have kind of a knock on impact impact and um, kind of will be beneficial, beneficial even if it's on a small scale, also because it can make you feel empowered and like you want to take more action. And I think that's kind of equally important in a sense, because if you feel empowered and like you can make change and like you have platform um, to create change, then that can often kind of lead you to take more action and also kind of ease that climate anxiety slightly. It's, it's actually something that, that came up in, in one of the questions we got emailed in a, advance. Um, a, somebody was asking about how we get better at showing that link between small individual actions and a kind of necessarily indeterminate set of outcomes. Otherwise, the, the long term nature of the issue or the enormity of it risks putting people off. The, the question I was saying, either from making an effort in a personal capacity or considering making a career out of it. And I was thinking about a discussion Dreeke and I had very early on when we were thinking about what it means to be a, a conservationist. And we were wondering whether the charity was going to in fact become a way of sort of helping people from different backgrounds move into conservation as a career. And then we realized that actually to be a conservationist doesn't just mean working in the sort of vocational or professional way. To be a conservationist is a, a state of mind and a, and a way of being. It doesn't necessarily need to be your job. Um, and I think we, we, we see that now happening um, uh, through the charity. Uh, I mean, another of the, the burning questions now is this question of access um, to, to conservation, um, privilege, uh, barriers, um, uh, bringing young people in from, from diverse backgrounds. So um, uh, may, maybe I can ask um, again, Driki, here to talk a little about this. Um, so the barriers that, that prevent people from different backgrounds connecting to um, a notoriously kind of white sector, particularly, and a, a broadly more kind of white issue. And, and how, you've, how, you've, how you've engaged with that, got around it um, in all the ways that you have. And then perhaps again, Hannah and Esther, perhaps talk about your experience of, of youth conservation and youth climate politics from that perspective, if, if you're happy to do so. Great, thanks Rob. Um, yes, I think, you know, this is really the fundamental question and uh, and the fundamental question we're trying to address with, with our work is really how do we increase access um, to nature and connection to nature and young people. Um, and, and the follow on point from that is in the environmental movement and in taking action, because really we need all young people to feel passionate and engaged in these issues and and taking action and feeling that it's a part of their lives and a part of their communities and so that's the really big challenge um and as rob said the sector you know is is not only perceived as white it is very white it's the second least diverse sector in the uk after farming it only employs 0.6 percent um people em employees from 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 non-white backgrounds and so there's a there's a huge challenge to address there um and i think you know young people from from all backgrounds and a range of backgrounds do care about nature and they do care about the climate crisis um but they also have a million other things that are often more pressing on their plate whether that's you know and and, and recurring issues kind of voted of most concern by young people are things like knife crime and support for mental health and access to university and so um those are those are challenges that are at the forefront of their minds um and so those are the challenges um really we have um a role to play i think as 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 the environmental sector in in 
linking in a in an intersectional way with with the work that we're doing um, for the sector. So whether that's linking safety and green space to knife crime and, and, and clean and, 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 and happy green spaces and access to green spaces um, in public areas um, close to home, um, whether that's um, getting young people out into nature to, to tackle and taking action to tackle some of those um, mental health issues that, that, that we're seeing um, are really prevalent in that age group. Um, and so I think for us and certainly our approach with our programmes is really to create safe spaces to explore nature um, and link that to environmental issues and social justice issues that that, that young people may identify with more um, and and provide free opportunities for them uh, to get out there in nature. I mean that's another another real barrier is is cost often of whether that's transport or, or literally access costs for for green spaces in some cases. Um, and I think that's only been amplified by the pandemic and, and obviously the, the huge collective trauma that we've been through and um, the impact that that's had on, on many people's lives, but particularly and disproportionately on um, young people um, from underrepresented backgrounds. Um, and so I think, you know, there's a, there's a huge way to go in the sector as a whole um, in tackling this issue, um, but it's incredibly important that we do because otherwise this movement will not be strong and resilient and it will not be broad um, and it won't reach out to those communities we truly need to reach out to. Um, so yeah, so that's fr from our perspective, I think uh, a really important challenge um, and one we try to tackle through all of our programs um, and, and most recently through our, our Race for Nature's recovery program, which uh, Rob mentioned, which is really about directly addressing that issue of diversity in the sector and placing young people um, from underrepresented backgrounds in paid placements. Um, from our perspective, to create a space that's inclusive and welcoming for young people coming up through our programs and also young people who then can act as role models and, and really inspire the young people we work with in the long term. Um, so yeah, a, a fundamentally important issue. Um, Anna, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah, I've got a question for Bianca in a, in a second, but I'd, I'd love to obviously to hear from Hannah um, and Esther now about perhaps this relationship between social justice and, 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 and environmentalism more broadly understood or your, your experience of these matters. Hannah, perhaps. Hi, yeah, I think that it's really important um, thing to address is the lack of diversity in um climate movements and it's not that that diversity isn't there i think it's often that we don't um amplify the voices of people from minority backgrounds as much as we should and i think um it's really just kind of uh, i think actual conservation does it really well is bringing everyone together and celebrating voices from all backgrounds and i think that um it's just the encouragement of somebody saying to you that your voice is really important, which I think Action for Conservation does, um, can be enough to kind of get someone to come out their shout. And I think with that, um, they are increasing diversity in the climate sector. And I think that's really important to me. Thank you, Esther. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it's also um, really important that uh, young people can see themselves kind of reflected by others in the environmental movement um, and so that's why I think it's work by organisations and charities like Black Girls Hike and Action for Conservation is so important because it kind of uh, shows young people that there is space for their voice and that they can kind of uh, raise their voices and their voice can be heard. 
Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Bianca, you've spoken a little about this sort of moment of recognition where you thought, yes, uh, the, the AFC is doing things that I want to see done. Um, can you tell us a little bit from a, a donor's perspective, a philanthropist perspective of, uh, of about supporting um, charities like this and, and indeed this one in particular, what, what matters most to you? Mm, as a, I see a lot of charities and the and impact is always is always what I look for first because the the I would say I'm I'm not a Rockefeller I can I can only give so much um, but I want to make sure that that money is well invested and and um, I certainly consider this one of the most impactful uh, charities that I've come across in the space. I would say what I'm looking for is certainly um, that diversity is addressed and Hendrikus uh, more than anyone has really proven that, you know, he is empowering not only young people, but young people from all backgrounds. And, and I'm hearing these voices empowered rather than frustrated and depressed and defeated. And um, I think that's something that, that I really can't see anyone else doing in that same way. So... So I would say of all the other charities that I support, this is the one that is, is boosting uh, young people and is building a whole army of young people who can take action, positive action, and really start you know, creating a planet uh, that we can all live on in the future. Thank you very much. So I wrote this book called The Lost Words, which came out in 2017, and um, uh, I, I decided when I was writing it, in the spirit of the charity, I wanted to join kind of wonder in the form of the book with change in the form of uh, the charity. And so I decided to give a donation of, of every copy sold to the charity. Um, didn't quite know then that the book would be as successful as it was. Um, uh, uh, and I think the donations to the charity are now sort of getting on for £30,000 from that book. And I've put in a, the, the latest kind of donation has just come good from the publishers as it were it's just lovely to have kind of planted this um creative acorn and just to watch the oak tree kind of cropping and cropping for um for for, for this purpose so um yes thank you for that we've um we have some people are having to leave wonderful thanks to um Hannah and Esther's determination and eloquence from Esmeralda, who's just heading out. Um, we're opening now to general questions, uh, of which there are, there are quite a few. Um, uh, so I, I want to start with a really interesting one from, from Ian Lazarus. This is to, to, to Hannah and Esther. Um, is, is Greta Thunberg uh, making conservation more attractive or scaring them off as she is so knowledgeable and like it or not, so famous? So, yeah, I don't know if either of you would be happy to answer that. Um, yeah, I think it is really interesting and kind of going into school quite a lot. You hear a lot of talk about Greta just because she is so famous and kind of very much a figurehead of the movement, especially for young people. She's like the, the biggest um, young figure probably in the world. Um, if you to think of a young person, you'd think of Greta. Um, and I think it can be daunting, um, especially for young people um, who maybe haven't done that much environmental work before, but who will, are looking towards doing something um, and taking action. I think it can be really daunting 
seeing all of the incredible work that she's done. But I also think that she's a really big inspiration and that a lot of young people, especially in the school strikes movement, um, have been encouraged to take action by seeing the work that she's done. As a young person, I think lots of people can relate to um, because she is a young person and she's not an expert in any of the science. And she, very, she says that all the time that she don't ask her for all the solutions because she's not a scientist. Um, and so I think lots of people, including myself, relate to that in that we aren't here necessarily to give every single solution and tell you all of the facts about climate change. Um, but we just want to help and encourage and take action. Um, and so I think definitely that Greta has been a great inspiration to a lot of people and helped a lot of people um, see how they can take action in that respect. Anna, do you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I think I agree with everything Esther said. And um, it, yeah, I think sometimes people might feel slightly intimidated and they might feel that perhaps because they don't know that much and because they haven't got that big a platform or whatever the reasons might be, that uh, for some reason they're any less valid in conservation. But I think that on the whole, despite any feelings of... Um, you know any negative feelings i do think that she is truly an inspiration because the youth strike for climate movement really took off when she made it um i she wasn't the only person involved in that but she did help it to become more widespread and i think that um so many young people were inspired by that movement and by her and i do think that it does make the conversation um as ian said more attractive because it shows like esther said as well that you um, are not the only young person interested in there's representation um, for your kind of demographic in that field and I think that's a really important part of conservation. Thank you. I, I mean I guess we, we may all agree that one consequence of the Greta phenomenon is that it has somewhat geographically focused the notion of youth-led change on, on, on Europe and on um, as it were the, the kind of uh, sort of uh, Anglo-European-American axis. Uh, one of the things I would say about Hendrikus's book is that it gathers stories from around the world and, and has some wonderful inspiring stories from young people in, in Africa uh, and in the, in, the, in the global south broadly in South America and I think hearing, hearing more from those voices recognizing or, or amplifying yet further those voices and recognizing that they have been part of this conversation and driving this conversation for a, you know a long time before before Greta is is really important and that the, the book does that very very well great question thank you um Ian uh, for that so there's a, a again if I come back to you Hannah and Esther because you are basically uh the stars of the show here there's a there's a really interesting discussion in the chat about how to keep young people involved your lives are so busy you have these multiple you know, commitments you have you have school um you have exams every year changes for you new contours new sets of expectations um so um are you able to tell us a little from your perspective about uh how 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 it fits around your life like what makes it easier for you to be involved given all that all else that you're doing um with any examples would be great but yeah just reflections on that would help us uh yeah i actually I kind of see that point i can definitely relate to the feeling of having too much on um but i think that 
personally for me, because conservation is one of my key interests, I would always make time for that. Um, while in every teenager's life, it may not be the forefront, I think it's, again, just showing them that those tiny, tiny actions do matter. And I think that's what the book does really, really well, is that it shows that even if you don't have time to do all these big projects and stuff that are great, if you can do them, you can also make a difference in, you know, with five minutes at home whenever you get a chance. But yeah, um, I do think the feeling of having too much on is definitely one. But I think Action for Conservation also does make it quite accessible because a lot of the visits done in school holidays or um, if you miss anything they're always really great at catching you up and I think because it's ongoing with the kind of long lifespan of the projects if you miss one event you don't feel like it's all gone down the drain you can kind of keep that continuity of all your projects just yeah I think it's really it's really great the kind of the model that they work with. That's that's really good inside info for us to hear. Thanks. Well done, Driki. You're getting that getting that right. Yeah, helping you catch up, help being flexible around your commitments. Esther, is that is that familiar to you? Uh, anything else that we should be thinking of? Absolutely. I think it can be really hard because we've got so much on with schools and exams and everything, uh, and other hobbies as well. Um, kind of to for lots of young people to make time for conservation. Um, and I think that definitely, as Hannah touched upon, is something that Action for Conservation does really well, is um, you never feel bad or afraid to say, you know, I've got a lot on at school right now um, and I can't really make time for this um, right at the minute. Um, but I think something that was touched upon in the chat was kind of the how it's hard to make a long-term commitment to stuff for young people. Um, and I do think that trying to work with young people around their timetables and kind of around their availability is really key and important and making them feel welcome within your project um, is really key so that we can pay, play kind of a fundamental role um, like we are doing in the Pempunk project. Thank you. And it sounds as though your, your dog approved of that recommendation as well. So uh, excellent. Um, some, some, um, lots of admiration in the chat for your, your communication skills and, uh, and for Sir David Attenborough's and indeed for, for Greta's. So um, yeah, I think we can all, can all agree with those things. Tricky, I, I want to talk to you uh, about, you know, we, I, I sit in these trustee meetings and I've watched this wonderful thing happen with uh, with income for the charity. It sort of just lifts and lifts and lifts. Um, that's partly because you've done a great job approaching, uh, you and your team have done a great job approaching funders, but it, it, it's largely because of the, you know, the, the focus and the generosity and the, and the vision of, of funders. So can you tell us a little about what funding means to the charity, what uh, philanthropy, what you've, what you've found it to enable and and then it's a very pra practical thing what what other kinds of support does a charity like this need yeah a big question and in many ways with the short answer i mean the charity wouldn't exist without um without all of our supporters and many of whom have been with us from the beginning so we're you know enormously indebted and grateful um to all of our supporters um and i think it's one of the joys of my job in fact working with you know forward-thinking funders um, and philanthropists who who get what we're doing and understand why we're doing it um, and, you know, invest in, in the ideas and the vision and 
um, uh, uh, just as passionate as as we are on the team about what we're working on. And that's, you know, that's wonderful. Um, that makes the job more interesting and makes the job easier in many ways um, because there is that that shared vision. So for us, I mean, you know, philanthropists from the beginning have, have supported um, our work and understood how vital engaging young people in the natural world and in taking action for the environment is. Um, and we've seen that kind of conversation evolve um, and blow up in many ways over the past few years in particular um, with with Greta, as, as was mentioned, but but the, the movement more broadly, which I think is um, is 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 very wide and, and deep and there are lots of interesting um, uh, figures within it um, and lots of driving forces behind it. Um, but really, over the last two years, we've seen things expand in a way that we couldn't have expected. And and, and it's through the support of, of funders that our work's been able to kind of track that and keep pace um, with that expansion and really, you know, ensure that we are well placed to do the work that we're doing at the scale that we need to do it um, to support young people as more and more of them want to be involved in this in this kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, absolutely fundamental um, to us. And I've forgotten the second part of your question, Rob. Oh, it's just about practical support. I mean, obviously, I, one of the things that's happened is we can, we've spread in, in, reg in regions now. We're now you know, opening in Bristol and, and, and Manchester, Northwest, Southwest. But yeah, are, are, there, are there practical things that funders can be thinking of for, for charities like this, sort of smaller growing charities in, in, in the environmental sector? Yeah, I mean, definitely. There's, you know, um, there are constantly new challenges, and we're we're always um, seeking advice for them. And you know, Jessica and Bianca are great examples of people who have supported us in all sorts of ways, and in thinking about um, lots of different challenges beyond uh, just raising funding. Um, and so that might be, you know, how we engage volunteers. It might be legal advice. It might be office space. It might be. Um, you know, advice on um, managing our expansion. Um, there are all sorts of ways in which funders have and um, can continue supporting us as as we grow and other other small charities um, as they grow. So yeah, I, you know, there's there's a lot beyond um, supporting um, uh, through financial means, although that's obviously incredibly important too. Thank you. Um, we're sort of coming towards the end. We've got five minutes or so left um, before we wrap up, but. I want to ask a difficult question of, um, well, I think it's, it's a sort of key one, really. It's about what it means for young people to have a voice. And obviously, I, I want to ask it of, of, of Hannah and Esther first for that for that reason. But uh, we talk, you know, we see a lot of what what we call youth youth washing. So um, and you, you, you two probably recognize that term or, 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 or what it refers to this sort of um, um, front. Yeah. The, the youth version of greenwashing, though it quite often goes together with, with, with greenwashing. And, and we talk a lot in the charity about what it really means to let young people uh, not just be heard, but, but, but speak um, and, and, and act and make change through that. Um, politicians like to bring youth delegations to their, to their meetings, to their front doors and be seen, you know, shaking hands, well, not, not any longer, but anyway, standing at a safe distance. Um, uh, and, uh, and very often that, that leads to nothing. We're looking at COP26 now at the moment. What does it really mean for young people to, to speak there, to, to be present there? Um, and honey, you said something earlier. You said, yeah, it, it helps, us to, helps us to know that our voices are being heard. So I wondered if you could reflect briefly, um, both of you, if you feel happy to, on what it really means to you to, to, to be heard and to speak as young people. 
Um, yeah, I think you're right. Quite often, um, young people get used as like a token by big organisations to say, look, we did this with this young person um, to kind of clear themselves of things, I don't know, kind of make them seem better than they are. But I think what Action for Conservation does is it genuinely does give young people the voice that we want. You know, Pempon is a perfect example of that because we're basically running the project um, and we're getting to experience things that, you know, we're working alongside the landowners in a way that we've never had the voice and the kind of the opportunity to do before. And I think that that is so empowering and inspiring for me to see young people actually have a real part to play and not just to be used as a token in these things. Thank you, Esther. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Hannah, and I think um, that it's really important that we're listened to um, and we're not just kind of there for a smile and a photo, but we're there for um, kind of to be listened to and for our um, ideas to be taken on board. That's great. Um, Bianca, I don't know if as a, as a, as a mother and a, a donor, you have any, any reflections on, on, I mean, we all, as parents, we all, um, we all learn what it means to listen to children, but, um, uh, but this is about how young people really, really speak into the world. Do you have any hopes for that or thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think often organisations don't know how to go about it when when looking for the voices of young people they're so stuck on with their own uh, circles of advisors and and board members and so on that they they you know whilst i think they do recognize it is an opportunity they often just lack the the sort of fundamental connections to younger people really and and you know they they almost operate in an echo chamber as as many people do and so I think, you know, again, Action for Conservation is, is in that way a, a really unique organization uh, that people can get in touch with if they want to involve young people. And, um, and certainly Hendrikus, you know, as a CEO has inspired me greatly because he really listens and he just makes things happen. Uh, so whilst I sit on his action board, I, I sometimes wonder whether we are even necessary because before we've even advised Hendrik as he's already put things into action and just made them happen, like an online education program over lockdown, for example. So I think my hope is just that we, we get the word out about action for conservation, not just uh, within England, but really all across the UK and quite frankly, across the world, because we need this to become a really properly big organization and movement um, and really to hand over the, the baton to the next generation on all levels. This is the perfect place to start. Thank you. Um, I, I will just hand over to Driki for a few final reflections on that and then we'll we'll wrap up. But just a, a technical example, as it were, of AFC's commitment to that. We have two, two youth trustees on the board. Um, uh, we, uh, we're, I think there are six, six trustees uh, and then two youth trustees. Uh, we're about to appoint two more. We've had a flood of applications. Wonderful to see the enthusiasm to join the board. And they're, they're really there. You know, they take they take part in the meetings. They're briefed by Driki in advance. We, we turn to them for decisions. They're part of all the really complex um, and sometimes tedious <laughs> decision making that goes on within the charity. And we, we absolutely see them um, 
uh, as equals and indeed as possessing stores of, of wisdom and perspective that 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 the, that the, the long in the tooth don't uh, i don't include you in that drink you don't don't have so anyway just uh, drink we don't have long but perhaps just just sort of 30 or 45 seconds from you on um on how young people really speak and how you've seen that happen yeah i mean it's a massive question i don't i think it's also important to recognize that we're on a journey and we're certainly not perfect in in our operations but i think you know it's having that openness to to wanting to improve in this respect which is really important and to bring it back to Penpon, i think you know our hope with that um and this is a a large-scale trial of of this um is is to develop a a really clear mechanism for young people being a part of decision making being a part of projects at their outset um that can be used everywhere you know that can be used in other nature restoration projects that can be used in small-scale projects in urban areas but that really recognizes that young people particularly on these issues of the environment that are fundamentally intergenerational um, and that concern young people's futures is that they have a voice at the beginning um, and that's a voice that's heard um, and you know it's not it's not an easy job and it's not it's, there are no quick wins and there are no silver bullets with it and I think organizations have to be much better as Bianca said at learning to to listen and break with those traditional ways of doing things um, in order to give young people a space um, and I think the other thing is that the sector needs to work better together to create um, pathways for young people to progress onto these opportunities. One of the things we're trying to do is is really support our youth ambassadors in progressing on to other opportunities in other organisations because otherwise you know without that kind of ladder of opportunities that we create because that's the organisation we are and we're focused on empowering young people without that you know it's very easy for young people to to engage in in, in the periphery and not really get into the substance of, of what these organizations are doing or not feel equipped or confident enough to um, to really speak um, you know their truth in those spaces and so I think that's where the sector needs to get much better at working together um, to, to, to recognize you know as as Greta has a very powerful voice but there are lots of quieter voices um, who are there in the background and who need to be listened to as well um, and, and, you know, just briefly to say, I think there's huge opportunity in it and huge strength in it, and it will build the resilience of the movement. It will build the resilience of those individuals involved in the movement, um, and it will it will produce the results fundamentally. Um, and I think that's what we're hoping to show with Pempon. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, well, massive thanks to Hannah and Esther and Esther's dog um, in, in particular. And I'm now going to Hand back to Jessica. We'll remain on the screen. Jessica will just uh, sum things up and, and bring us to a close this evening. But my thanks to all the participants. Thank you so much, everybody. That was super inspiring. Um, I mean, to take a just a brief reflection, I think everybody said what we need to hear this evening. But really, you know, we started with the idea of wonder as the essence of, of how Action for Conservation got off the ground. And I think as we showed and as Robert sort of illustrated in some of the in the work that he's written around deeper time is that actually things do take time. And even though we've only had an hour this evening, we've created space to listen to new ideas to, you know, to hearing from Hannah and Esther about how important it is for us to get better at listening to young voices. And of course, Action for Conservation is an incredible wonderfully fertile organization for helping us understand how to do that better. And so, I mean, my 
another hat, my organization, Synchronous to Earth, we're taking a leaf out of that page and trying to work and working with Action for Conservation and the Race for Nature's Recovery. And how can we better support youth moving up through that ladder that Hendrik was talking about? Um, so, you know, even though we're constantly thinking about the urgency and the future and the complexity and how difficult it is to do all of these things. Actually, sometimes we just need to pause and listen and take the time to engage beyond our comfort zones, be a bit brave and follow on from some of the some of the things we've heard here this evening. So I won't take any more of your time. Just a huge thank you to our incredible panel, um, to Robert for chairing, Bianca for your time and for all of your commitment for for Juriki, I'll start calling you that now, um, <laughs> for your incredible insight, wisdom, and, and leadership, and then to Hannah and Esther for just being spectacular speakers for all of your insight, and then, of course, to the Environmental Funders Network for hosting this wonderful event. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us.